Hello and thank you for tuning in to the Weird, Wacky and Wonderful Stories podcast. Now, please welcome, all the way from the front living room, your hosts, Shelley and Bella. Hi everybody. Today, I get to be in the driver's seat and start the show. Woohoo! <laughs> I know, I know, I feel so important. Anyway, this is our fifth episode, so if you've just joined us, We hope you stay, and if you've followed us along the way, then thank you very much for listening. And if you have only just joined us, go back and listen to the first couple of episodes, because they are pretty good, and you learn a little bit about us as well. So I'm going to hand it over to my much more experienced husband and let him tell you about all the things that are happening. Experienced in what? I don't know, fill in the blank. (laughs) (laughs) Well, listen, we'd like to thank all of those people that have been listening so far. We really appreciate it. We've only been live for a week with our first three episodes. And already in the UK, we have listeners in Newport, Walls End, Swansea, Bridgewater, Camberwell, Cumbran and Thatcham. And in United States, we have listeners in Cleveland, in Los Angeles, in Mechanicsville, wherever that is, uh, Detroit, Millbrook, Woodland Hills, Leveland, Mountain View, and we've got a listener in somewhere called Windhoek in Namibia, and also Okinawa in Japan. And we also have our very first listener submission oh excellent okay well do you want to kick off with that then yes okay so this is from teak who is in tennessee teak is the name of that we were doing when we were doing those sneezes wasn't it yeah no teak. <laughs> There's Sorry, little... we're not we're not calling you we're not calling you a, a sort of uh phlegm projectile or anything <laughs> like that <laughs> all right so teak says Back in October of 2011, I was 19 and had started working for Amazon as a picker. You have three floors that you must pick from, and you never know which floor you may end up on. On the 17th of October, I was on the top floor working and was about an hour into the second half of my shift. Soon, I began having dizziness, severe chest pain, trouble breathing, and nausea. In my mind, the only thing that I could think of was to find help. Yeah, no shit. Right? I started searching the top floor to try to find somebody for help. I looked around and could not find anyone on the top floor, so I began the journey down to the second floor and found one person. She asked me if I was all right, and I responded, no. I waited a few moments, and then the pain became much worse. I realized I could not wait any longer. I began walking toward the stairs to go to the first floor, and I stumbled and bumped into one of the shelves. Pausing for a moment, I understood that I was in serious trouble. I picked up the pace to get to the manager's desk. While on my journey there, I began losing more of my breath, and the pain became so intense that I felt as if I was going to pass out. Wow. Pretty scary. I finally reached the desk, and my manager took one look at me, then jumped out of his chair. He asked me, are you all right? I opened my mouth to respond, and I could not get anything out. His facial color went as white as it could go. I was taken to the nearest hospital, and they ran so many tests. After all the tests were completed and the results came back, the doctor slowly walked into my room with his head bowed. That's just, that's ominous, isn't it? Yeah, that's 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 never good. He told me that I have what is called an aortic dissection, which is a tear in the main artery of the heart. He went on to tell me that the only way to fix it is to have emergency surgery. So I agreed to have surgery and was rushed to the operating room. 
I woke up in the ICU very confused and was told that it was a beautiful thing to watch. What? Yeah, right? <laughs> Later, I found out that the doctor saw the tear and immediately after seeing it, saw something that looked like fingers tap on the tear three times. Whoa. He then turned for his instruments and back to where he needed to work, but found no tear. Back on October 11th of 2005, my mother had a 100% blockage of her artery and had to have heart surgery to place a stent. If you do the math from the time my mother had her surgery to the time I had mine, it is exactly six days, six hours, and six minutes apart. Whoa. I then found out that even to this day, I hold a world record for being the youngest person in the world to survive an aortic dissection. That is absolutely nuts. Isn't it? So if that surgeon didn't physically, I'm assuming it's himself because she said he came in, mm, yeah. but if that surgeon didn't actually repair that injury himself... Yeah, just still get a bill s- from the hospital for <laughs> surgery that you didn't have. <laughs> That's nuts. It isn't funny. We're not laughing. That no, must no. Have been, that must have been a horrible experience. No, but my point was is that if he didn't repair it then and nothing else had, she would still be sick. I mean... She'd be dead, right? I mean, that's a serious thing, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so if he didn't do it, then there must have been some other some other input from something else. Yeah. Do you see the point I'm making? He turned around and it wasn't there anymore. Mm-hmm. If he'd have just missed it, so he turned back and something had moved inside her or what have you, and now he couldn't see it, and he goes, oh, it's fixed now anyway, don't worry about it, sew her back up, she wouldn't have survived. So it must have been healed. Well, yeah. I'd assume. That's just bizarre. Before we go any further, just wanted to mention that Teak has a YouTube channel and uh, she hosts a gaming show on there. So check it out, guys. Um, The link will be in our show notes. Lovely. Excellent. Well, thanks for that, Teak. You are our first ever participant, if you like, and first person that's ever sent us a story. So you hold the record for that as well. Yeah, and guess what? Guess what? What? There is no prize. Oh, bless. <laughs> well, sorry. <laughs> she got out of it with her life, so yes, she, you know. Definitely. <laughs> no, Cheek, really, really appreciate that. And we're glad you're well now. So, um, aside of the fact that because, you know, we want you to be well, you know, you're able to send us the story. So, that's a bonus as well. So, what are we doing today then? We're going to be doing coincidences and yeah. synchronicity. Yeah. So, obviously, we, we had Cheek's email came, come in and we wanted to make something to sort of fit that and to go along the same sort of theme so teak as well as sending us the first ever story you actually chose the theme by sending us in that story so i've picked up some uh, stories on coincidences i know you've got some there as well interestingly though difference between coincidence and synchronicity yes what is the difference well, apparently a synchronicity has more elements that have to be synchronous to be a synchronicity whereas a coincidence can just be two things like for instance we both wear the same color shirt that's a coincidence but if we both wore the same color shirt that happened to be bought in the same place at the same time using the same payment method then that would be more of a synchronicity same place exactly saw the same movie you know blah 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 okay so that would be synchronicity as opposed to a coincidence where we both just happen to be wearing the same thing not that you often wear men's clothes Uh, i don't often wear women's clothes either good thing (laughs) yeah um so i've got one here They call this a coincidence, but I would suggest this is a synchronicity and I'll let you decide. It seemed the obvious thing for a 10-year-old to do. Laura Buxton was at her grandparents' golden wedding anniversary and there was a helium-filled balloon going spare. So she wrote a label on it. 
with her address and a message that said, please return to Laura Buxton. And she released the balloon off to fly into the sky. Now, Laura was in Staffordshire in England. Ten days passed and a farmer in Milton Lilbourne, we got some awesome name places on we in here? Yes, yes you do. So yeah, ten days passed and a farmer in Milton Lilbourne in Wiltshire pulled a balloon out of the hedge that separated his field from his neighbour's house. He noticed the name of Laura Buxton and as this was the name of his neighbour's daughter, he handed the balloon over to her straight away thinking that it must have been belonging to her. But as we know, it was a different Laura Buxton. Though she was also 10 years old, she lived 140 miles away from the girl who'd actually released the balloon. Wow, that is one well-travelled red balloon. So, Laura Buxton from Milton Lilburn got out her pen and she wrote to Laura Buxton in Stoke-on-Trent in Staffordshire. As this was such a coincidence, their parents actually allowed the two to meet up and then it got a lot more bizarre. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, so the girls, they were both tall for their age. First of all, I just got to say, in the UK, it seems like there are way more tall people than back home. It's because we're living right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Something that all that nice clean air. Yeah. No, what it is, is we're trying to reach up to the sun to get freaking warmer. Yeah. That's what it is. <laughs> Put your head above the clouds. <laughs> we're like flowers, just, just <laughs> you know, trying to get closer to the sun. No, but it is weird. Like, I, I, I always thought that I was, like, average height and everything. And now I come here and I feel like a dwarf. <laughs> you are average height. You are average height for a dwarf. Oh, nice. So, both the girls, as I said, were tall for their age. They were the same height, though. And they decided to both wear pink sweaters that day and jeans for their meeting. Their hair was brown... And they both wore it in exactly the same style. But there's still more. Both girls had a three-year-old black Labrador retriever dog. And they both had grey pet rabbits. They also had guinea pigs, which were the same colour and even had the same orange markings on their hindquarters. Yay, matching butts! <laughs> <laughs> it was almost like these were identical girls, two halves brought together by a balloon. It all happened in June 2001, but the girls are still friends and they still feel as though the circumstances brought them together that they're too significant to sort of be written off as just mere coincidence. But would you agree that's synchronous? I would say that's synchronicity, not coincidence. Yeah, that's... There's too many elements in there. Yeah, definitely. So what have you got? Remember Pearl Harbor. I mean, obviously you remember it. It's just the time. I was, no, it's before my time. <laughs> Not by much. Anyway, December 7th, 1939, in the small town of Owensville, Indiana, one morning local residents discovered, traced on the pavement, these words, Remember Pearl Harbor. The Japanese bombing of the U.S. Navy took place exactly two years later to the day. Wow. So it was written two years before Pearl Harbor actually happened. wonder if it was like a time traveler. Yeah. Thought, oh, I'm going to go back and maybe if I... Just jumped in from a parallel universe to maybe try <laughs> yeah. and stop it or... That's bizarre. Remember Pearl Harbor. I, I can't see that that's synchronicity. I mean, yes, obviously it's... More of a coincidence. Yeah, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that it's almost someone had to have prior knowledge, so therefore wouldn't be necessarily a coincidence. It, that must have been set up by someone who had prior knowledge of, of something that was going to happen in the future. Maybe something to do with someone maybe who can see into the future 
fortune teller type thing. Like um, Nostradamus. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Yeah, but why would that person then just write on the sidewalk and chalk? What, you know, go paint it on a freaking billboard or something. Yeah, yeah, go and tell the military. Yeah. but um, Still weird, though. Incidentally, I don't know whether you know this, but I tweeted out yesterday... From our Twitter feed, all of you guys listening need to subscribe to our Twitter feed, by the way, because a lot of interesting thing goes out on there. But did you know that there is a reward that still stands, and it's something like a hundred and something thousand Australian dollars for anyone who can prove that they have a skill like medium, a medium or a clairvoyant or someone with a paranormal sort of power? If they can prove that they can actually do that and it can be proved in front of a scientific panel, they get that reward. And it's been unclaimed for like 80 years. Hmm. We need to book a vacation. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we need to get some skills. Yeah, come (laughs) up with some gimmick show. (laughs) Yeah, no, we need to get some skills to uh, earn that. But yeah, so if anyone out there has got any of these skills, then um, check out our Twitter feed and you'll learn more about that reward. Yeah, and you heard it from us, so you know. Yeah, so share it. Mm -hmm. Commission. Yeah. Abraham Lincoln was elected U.S. president in 1860. John F. Kennedy in 1960. Both were assassinated on a Friday, both killed beside their wives, both killed from behind by a bullet in the head. The bodyguard of Lincoln was named Kennedy, and Kennedy's bodyguard was named Lincoln. Lincoln's secretary was named Kennedy and strongly advised him not to go to Ford's Theater, where he was shot in the lodge Kennedy. Kennedy's secretary was called Lincoln and advised him not to go to Dallas. The car in which the Kennedy assassination had taken place was Lincoln. Booth killed Lincoln in a theater and fled to a warehouse. Oswald shot Kennedy from a warehouse and fled to a theater. Booth, alleged assassin of Lincoln, was born in 1839, and Kennedy's alleged assassin, Oswald, was born in 1939. These two alleged killers were both killed by acts of vengeance without trial. Johnson Andrews succeeded Lincoln and was born in 1808 and died exactly 10 years after Lincoln. Lyndon Johnson succeeded Kennedy and was born in 1908 and died exactly 10 years after Kennedy. Finally, the two victims, their two successors, and the two alleged killers had respectively the same number of letters in their name. Why? <laughs> it would have been, would have been really strange if, the, if their names could have been mixed up in an anagram thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, no, but, I mean, how weird is all of that? I, mean, I know, Lincoln, I know. Lincoln really and Kennedy strange. names appear so many times in there. It, that's just bizarre. And everything is exactly 100 years apart. It is very strange, very strange. I've got a strange one here as well. It's not only strange because it's a synchronous story, but I think the name is pretty strange as well. And apologies to any Italians that we may have listening. <laughs> Although you're not featuring on our stats at the moment, so kiss my ass. Nice. <laughs> no, I'm only kidding. I love pasta. Anyway, this is regarding a King Umberto the first. I don't know whether Umberto is a common name, but if not, know, why would you call very, him the first? It isn't very kingly or anything, is it? If kingly is a word, but... Yeah, regal. Regal, yeah, that's it. It says, as royalty sometimes does, King Umberto I of Italy, back in 1900, travelled to Monza and, as he was away from his palace, decided to have an evening meal in a smallish restaurant. The date was July 28th. 
He was accompanied by his aide-de-camp, I hope I've pronounced that correctly, and there was much excitement in the restaurant. The owner came out to take the king's order personally. This shocked the king. Why that would shock a king that, well, you know... Well, I'm just about to say, not because the owner was taking his order, but oh, because right. the two of them were like peas in a pod. They were identical. Can you imagine the cook coming out and going, you look like a pea! <laughs> <laughs> and me too! <laughs> <laughs> they had the same facial looks, build, and so on. And the king found out there was more, lots more. Mm-hmm. So the king and the restaurant owner both had the same name, Umberto. So maybe it is more common than I thought. Yeah. They were both born on March the 14th, 1844, and in the same town. But it didn't end there. Their wives were both called Margarita, named after the pizza. No, no, no. Named after the drink. Thank you very much. Oh, you're such an alky. <laughs> and both couples were married on the same day and both had a son called Vittorio. It was not, not, not Mario and Luigi. <laughs> 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 sorry, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry, sorry about all the Italian <laughs> stereotypes. The coincidences kept on coming. King Umberto was crowned on the same day the restaurant was opened by Umberto, the owner. They served in the Italian military and were both promoted on the same day to different ranks. Yeah, because, like, king and not, but anyway. (laughs) Yeah. As we can imagine, the king was knocked out by his doppelganger, so much so that he decided that the following day the owner should visit the royal palace. And he wouldn't have to pay. Well, they'd let him in, wouldn't they? They'd go, oh, kingy, come on in, (laughs) you know. So the next day arrived, and it was the 29th of June, 1900. Umberto, the restaurant owner, couldn't, however, take up his invitation because he'd been killed earlier that day in a shooting accident. The very same day, an assassin aimed his gun and shot the king through the heart. The final coincidence was, therefore, that they were both killed on exactly the same day. And isn't it ironic? Don't you think? It's like rain on your wedding day. Okay, then. Sorry. Feel better now? Yeah, thanks. That's pretty bad, though. Can you believe that, though? Same name, born on the same day... Both born in the same town, had wives called the same name. They were both married on the same day. Both had a son of the same name. And then you know what? The 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 queen, or whatever she was called, she probably went over, knocked on the wife's same name, you know, and said, "Your husband's dead, and so is mine. But we won't tell that we hired someone to do it." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. My hitman's name was Bob. What was your hitman's name? My hitman's name was Bob as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. they used a 45. Mine used a 45. Let's go have some pizza. Yeah, yeah. Margarita. I remember when my dad was in the hospital right before he died. I had come out of his room really just so that I could collect myself a little bit because I just didn't want him to see me being sad or whatever. And this woman came down the down the corridor and she had one of those guardian angel pins you know All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. and she said to me she touched me and she said don't worry everything is going to be okay don't know who she was don't, I don't even know where she came from she was wrong <laughs> well okay but you know everything is okay yeah yeah i know yeah you know i mean it, things happen the way they happen but I think he's okay now. And I'm okay. Yeah. Whether you're okay is debatable. 
I'm, a, I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I mean, I'm not religious. That's not, you know, d- it's weird going back to that angel thing again. How weird is that? How weird is it that we did that t- story about us and the dream? And Call her Joker, angel. And, yeah. and then this woman. Uh, episode one, by the way, guys, if you didn't hear that story. Yeah, and then this woman comes walking down the corridor wearing this angel pin. Yeah. And there w- it wasn't like she came out of a patient room. She, she just came appeared. walking down. Yeah. And then, so that's really, that's really weird. That just made me get goosebumps. <laughs> <laughs> uh, boy 640. In 1992, in Cobbs Creek, Virginia, Jeanette Ellis got into her car, driven by her husband, in order to get to the hospital and give birth to her second child, which was a boy. But she had no time to get there, and her son was born in the car at 6.40 in the morning. The license plate of that car was B-O-Y-640. Why? Boy 640. Yeah. That is There's weird, your birth announcement yeah, hanging know, on the it? front of your car. <laughs> <laughs> well. That's weird, isn't it? Can you imagine sort of going to um, going to your friends and them saying, "What are you having? I've got a clue." When you do uh, around so and so date, it was written on her car the whole time. Yeah, she carried it. She took it with her everywhere she went. Yeah, <laughs> and that's Life magazine in March 1950 reported of a story about how 15 people had to meet at 7:15 p.m. for a choir rehearsal at a church in Beatrice, Nebraska. They were all delayed by different reasons, all valid. Some had forgotten the hour, others could not start their car, others were distracted by other events. At 7.25, the church was destroyed by an explosion. The odds of every single person being late were estimated at one million to one. And yet, that is what happened and nobody was hurt. Wow. How bizarre is that? That is crazy, yeah, definitely. It's like, Mum, I'm so glad you called. <laughs> yes. Uh, that reminds me of a story. I used to live in New Hampshire for a while, and we lived on this really little street. Probably only like three or four houses. I think there were four houses. And our neighbour had a RV. A caravan. Caravan, yeah. And she had two kids, and they wanted to spend the night in that caravan, which they sometimes did. Just well, the mother and the kids. No, just the kids. The kids said, you know, they wanted to do it. Yeah. And they had done it before, so it wasn't that big of a deal. But for whatever reason, their mother said, no, you can't. I'm not going to let you do it. And she was very adamant about it. The kids were upset. Summertime windows are open. We can hear, you know. Anyway, so that night, there was a really bad thunderstorm, and lightning hit that RV. Really? And just, I mean, it, it was gone. Totally. Well, I mean, they've got a metal chassis, but they're made of paper, aren't they, these things? Yeah, I don't know. But, well, yeah. But, so, obviously, like, everybody came out because... Barbecue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's not even right. <laughs> but anyway, and she and, and the mother, so she was just shocked about the fact. Oh, my God. And she kept talking about, oh, my God, you know, the kids wanted to to sleep in this, and I'm so glad I didn't let them. And, but yeah, that's... It was, it was, I'll never forget that. That was so crazy. Um, I wonder as a parent how you would kind of rationalise that. You'd obviously be in shock because of the fact that it was such a close call. I mean, I can remember when my kids were young and we went into the supermarket or something and you lost sight of them for a second. And the panic is just... And the panic is just immediate. And then you get them back 
and it may have been 30 seconds and you realise that they were still looking at the Legos or, mm. you know, just, just down the way. It, it stays with you that whole night. That whole night, certainly for me, you'd get home and your heart would still be going, oh, so close today. Can you imagine, though, having that situation where those kids would have been vaporised, presumably, in, yeah. inside that? Yeah. I remember one time I lost my son. He was quite little, little toddler. Like you're saying, it's just a split second and I'm panicking and I'm looking for him or whatever. And then he comes popping around from the other, from the aisle next to it. And, and you said, said, oh, bollocks. <laughs> and he said, mom, mom. And I'm like, you know, what's, what's going on with you? And you, you left me. And he's like, mommy, mommy, come over here. Come, come here. Come here. Come get blown with me. And all the fans. Come get blown right? with you. <laughs> Fans. <laughs> all the fans in the other <laughs> aisle with all the little streamers blowing off of it so you could see. <laughs> I'm going to have to say that. I'm going to have to say yeah. that to him. Come get blown with me. <laughs> Author Morgan Robertson had already written several novels set against the background of the sea when he had a marvellous idea for another. In 1898, he penned a story entitled The Wreck of the Titan. It told how the Titan, an unsinkable luxury liner, left Southampton in April for a trip across the Atlantic. Along the way, it struck an iceberg and it sank. An insufficient number of lifeboats had resulted in the drowning of one-third of the 3,000 crew and passengers. In an edition of the magazine Popular Mechanics, dated 7th of April 1912, a short story appeared concerning another fictitious ocean-going liner, supposedly the largest in the world, which sinks after colliding with an iceberg near Newfoundland. Fourteen years after Robinson's novel appeared, and a week after the magazine story, a ship left Southampton for New York. It was the maiden voyage of the luxury liner Titanic. A modern miracle of engineering, which experts said was unsinkable. Like the fictional Titan, it too had three large propellers, were steel-hulled, and weighed 45,000 tonnes, just 1,000 tonnes short of the Titan. It, too, struck an iceberg, and there was a heavy loss of life, owing to insufficient lifeboats. A further twist in the tale involved a man born on the same day the Titanic sank. He was a crewman on board a ship called the Titanian, which set sail in 1935 for America, in the same area where the Titanic had sank. It, too, was struck by an iceberg, but didn't sink. The outcome would have been much worse had the crewman not experienced a premonition of the disaster and warned the navigator, who then became more vigilant and steered the ship away from a head-on collision. Finally, I've just got to have one other thing to this, okay? Mm. I'm getting this out of a book, by the way, called One in a Million. It was a show that Philip Schofield used to do back in the, I don't know, 80s, 90s, something like that. But it was really, really good fun. Anyway, final thing on the end of this, which is really cool... In 1980, a Bedfordshire, Bedfordshire in the UK, Bedfordshire family were at home watching a film called Raise the Titanic. You've seen that, haven't you? Yeah, I did. When a huge chunk of ice fell out of a clear sky and smashed through their roof. <laughs> that is, can you imagine that? <laughs> yeah, I know, that's a bit strange. Imagine that, watching the Titanic, it just falls through. Next time we watch Raise the Titanic here or something like that, I'm going to be wearing a hard hat. <laughs> <laughs> it was actually a good movie. I, I remember seeing it in at the drive-in. At the drive-in? When drive -in. I was a kid, yeah. Never been to a drive-in. Yeah, I don't... Do they even have them here? No. All right, okay. Well, this story that you just finished ties in pretty well with 
something that I found about a woman named Violet Jessup. She was known as Miss Unsinkable, and she worked for the White Star Line and survived the sinking of the Titanic and the Britannic and was also aboard the third of the three White Star Line sister ship, the Olympic, which thankfully was seriously damaged but was able to make it back to port safely. So in 1911, the Olympic collided with the HMS Hawk. Um, incidentally, that was a ship that was made to to actually bang into other ships to try to sink them. Oh, like take them out. Yeah. But both both of the ships sustained considerable damage, but neither of them sank. So that's interesting. And then in 1912, Violet was on the Titanic when it sank. She escaped when she was ordered by a ship's officer to board lifeboat number 16, which technically the crew members in that weren't supposed to get on the lifeboats because it was supposed to be you know, for the passengers. But a lot of the women who were ordered to get on lifeboats, they didn't want to go because they were scared. They didn't think they were safe, that they should. They, they figured staying on the Titanic was safer. So this officer told Violet to get in so that they could see that, you know, it, it was it was okay to get in it. And uh, somebody... Yeah, I don't think I would have used her as an example. She's called Miss Unsinkable. <laughs> she's called Miss Unsinkable, but so far she's been on, goodness knows how many ships that have... Well, I'm sure she wasn't giving them her, like, resume while she was... Yeah, yeah. On it, I wouldn't right? have called her Miss Unsinkable, though. I probably would have called her Miss Bound to Sink. Do you or, know? or Miss More Than Likely to Sinkable. Yeah. She she wasn't buoyant, was she? <laughs> well, she was. Oh, yeah, she was. But everything she was in wasn't, yeah. you know. <laughs> uh, as a side note, she actually was handed a baby when she was on this lifeboat. Oh, we don't know whether this lifeboat's going to be okay, but take this baby with Somebody you. handed her a baby, and that baby did survive. That's neither here nor there at this point, but still, that did happen. And synchronicity, the baby then grew up to be Leonardo DiCaprio. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think no, no. I think he'd be a lot older. Yeah, yeah, I want to get it. Go on. Anyway, I'm sure he has much more interesting things to be his claim to fame. You know, uh, I don't know. Being on a real Titanic probably would have been. <laughs> I suppose. Uh, right. So back to Violet now. Um, in the lead up to World War One, she decided to serve as a nurse on the Britannic. I don't know why, because <laughs> at that point I'd probably be, I'd probably be like, no, not happening. I'm not getting on another ship ever. The Britannic ended up running into a mine that had been planted by a German U-boat, and it sank as well. That time she survived because she jumped overboard. So <laughs> she just got the worst luck in the world. <laughs> yeah, like, and if that's not bad enough, she did continue. In, in her life after all of this happened to 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 be she on ships on, she would have been a v on a veto list <laughs> there's no way that she would have been allowed on one well, of my ships wasn't it like i reckon she was one doing it she was yeah. the one she was the one causing the problems it must have been violet ended up living out a very long and happy life and you know went on okay, and then. on and on <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I got it now, Titanic. And yeah. On and on. Yeah, yeah okay. See? Yeah. I am funny. I was just over you're my just, head. You're just, yeah, you're just not really... No. So what's up with your voice anyway? You sound a bit hoarse. A bit hoarse? Yeah. I don't know. It's just talking a lot, I guess. I could, why, why do Wait. people say that anyway? Why are you talking a bit hoarse? I, I, I haven't neighed once. 
Can you, <laughs> can you, uh, do horses say that to each other? You're sounding a bit human today. Okay. <laughs> I sound like Mr. Ed then, didn't I? <laughs> oh, Wilbur. That's pretty cool. I didn't know they had Mr. Ed over here. Yeah, they did, yeah. Mm, but you have to be nice. like a million years old to remember it. Okay, so I found something else pretty interesting. This is about Napoleon and Hitler. Napoleon and Hitler were born 129 years apart. They came into power 129 years apart. They declared war on Russia 129 years apart. And they were defeated. Let me guess. 129 years apart? Yay. <laughs> okay. Have you ever heard of a guy named Hugh Williams? No. Me neither till now, but apparently there are quite a few of them. Now That's I know. A, well, Hugh's a Welsh name, isn't it? Hugh? Hugh is a Welsh name, yeah. How do Hugh know? <laughs> <laughs> in 1660, a ship sank in the Dover Straits. The only survivor was named Hugh Williams. In 1767, a second ship sank in the Dover Straits. The only survivor was named Hugh Williams. And not the same one. Different Hugh Williams. Yeah, I would think so, seeing as how the first one was 1660 and the other one was 1767. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I didn't do the math. Yeah. In 1820, a ship capsized on the River Thames. The only survivor was named Hugh Williams. Now we can jump all the way to 1940. A ship was destroyed by a German mine. Hey, just like the... Um, just like the Miss Unsinkable. Yeah, right. Uh, I wonder if they're related. Only two men survived. A man and his nephew. And they were both named... No. Hugh Williams. That is serious. I reckon if your name is Hugh Williams now, your travel insurance should be greatly reduced if you're going on a ship. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it? You're like, yeah. Hey, go, go, go on a cruise... What's your name, Hugh Williams? Ah, oh, don't worry about the insurance, you'll be good, fine. Yeah, instead of, what are they like, those no-fly lists? This can be the yes, can... Yeah. What, I know what they ought to do. They ought to name the next Titanic Hugh, Hugh Williams. Williams. <laughs> <laughs> the, what is that? The HMS, would that be it? Yeah, HMS, Hugh Williams. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what a good idea. Boaty McBoatface. If I'd have, if I'd have known <laughs> that... That story prior, because do you remember that Boaty McBoatface thing? Yes, 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 yes. Well, everyone had to decide on it, didn't they? Which is why they come up with such a stupid name. Yeah. Yeah. But if I'd have known about that then, I would have written in and said Hugh Williams with that, with with those reasons why. Yeah, with those stats. Yeah, that's really cool. Especially if we have any listeners out there who are named Hugh Williams. Yeah. They'd be going, honey. Book us a cruise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's all right. Just, just hold on to me. We'll be good. Or don't. Yeah. No, no, he survived every time. Well, maybe he wants to get rid of her. Yeah. What, what would be, but like, what would be the best way? Go on a cruise. The thing sinks. She kicks the bucket, and he doesn't. Maybe he's just built like a life ring. <laughs> <laughs> he's just really buoyant. <laughs> he's just full of air. Well, shall we now move to? Cars, since how it. we've done some ships. We've, yeah, we've done, it's been a very nautical show, this. Isn't it? Okay, James Dean and his cursed car. Now, I'm assuming everybody over here would know that James Dean. Well, I think people was, of our right? sort I mean, of age would probably know him. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, We're not he that was, old, by the way. I just remember the black and white movies. Yeah. Don't star in them. What? You don't star in them. What, in black and white movies? Mm-hmm. Why? 
Well, you were in a movie. Uh, I was. For all of what? Three seconds until you kicked the bucket? Oh, no, you didn't even kick it. Somebody else kicked it for so, you and actually, killed you. Theoretically, someone came up behind me and broke my neck on, a, on some stairs. Yes, yes. Yep. I was. My claim to fame is I am on imdb.com and I was in a movie for all of a couple of seconds. Yes. Okay. Until I died. So James In Dean. fact, it wasn't I wasn't actually in the movie, I was in the opening credits. Yeah, in the credits. <laughs> <laughs> it's better than the end credits. Actually, no, it might not be because sometimes the end credits stuff is pretty funny, isn't it? Yeah. Do all the outtakes and yeah. uh, everyone that was late for the movie totally missed my part. Yeah. <laughs> well, when 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 I watched it because I had to. Oh cheers. No, you came you came to visit. Remember? Yeah. And we rented it out of um, Redbox, Redbox, was it? Redbox. Yeah. God, Redbox. I forgot all about Redbox. Yeah, it's cool. Never mind, look it up, y'all. That's your 15 milliseconds of fame. <laughs> Rub it in. James Dean. He was a famous American rebel, inspired hundreds of people remaining in our collective memory as the perpetual bad boy. What is really interesting and very creepy about him is the story of his death. In September of 1955, James crashed his Porsche Spider into another car. Despite the fact that James had a passenger who flew through the windshield, no one else was hurt in the accident except Dean, who died. Interestingly enough, the actor had made a car safety public service announcement just days earlier, warning people not to drive too fast during the holiday season. I think he forgot to watch the finished uh, yeah, that's thing, sad, isn't it? However... Where the story becomes really creepy is what happened to Dean's car. After it was towed away from the crash site, it broke a mechanic's legs when a chain slipped. The motor was placed in another Porsche Spider, which also crashed and killed the driver. Bloody hell. The tires were bought by a New York man who apparently had an accident while driving with them. Even a driver that had the transmission from Dean's car installed in his racing car was killed as something failed and he lost control of the automobile. That is one cursed vehicle. And then the shell of the James Dean car was placed on display in Sacramento, California, where it broke free from the chains holding it and broke a teenager's hip. Jeez. After that, it was transported to Oregon but the truck delivering it crashed into a store and the shell was supposedly stolen. Damn. Just now, goes on and on. Now, according to another story, the shell was not stolen and it was displayed again and broke into pieces for no apparent reason, just fell apart. So That is... Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine that? No. How, how bad... I mean, and then they recycled the car into a can of Coke and yeah, well, someone choked on the well, Coke. Like how, <laughs> like, how many accidents had to happen before somebody went, no thanks, I really don't Yeah, I'm don't not buying want, that anymore. You know. Yeah. Unbelievable. This was owned by James Dean. Oh, forget it then. <laughs> yes. Goodness <laughs> really me. Really weird. Now, that is synchronicity. I mean, you Rather cannot... Rather than coincidence, yeah. You I cannot would. dispute how synchronous that all of those events are, all surrounding one vehicle... I wonder, did James Dean buy it new? You know, was th was there history to that vehicle before mm. James Dean was actually involved? Obviously, it had to be delivered to some kind of store or yeah or showroom was that he bought hurt it from. Before, yeah. yeah, were they hurt making it in mm. the factory? It's it's really it's interesting like, to know what happened before. Have you watched the Stephen King movie Christine? No. Oh, you gotta see it. Really creepy movie. Better car that's named Christine and it's just not nice. Now we'll go on to authors. 
seeing as how we mentioned Stephen King, this is a good place for this one. It's like you planned that. I know, right? I didn't. I swear to God. How synchronous. Mark Twain, he was obviously a famous American author. He was born on November 30th, 1835. And this just so happens to be the first day that Halley's Comet appeared. When Twain passed away in 1910, it was also the first day of Halley's Comet for that year. He actually predicted that it would happen in 1909 when he said, I came in with Halley's Comet in 1835. It is coming again next year, and I expect to go with it. And he did. And he did. So how did he die, by the way? I think it's from a heart attack. Really? Yeah. Oh, right, okay. I was just wondering if it was anything that he'd planned, just so he could say, ha-ha, I was right. Yeah. <laughs> Not that so, you'd be around uh, yeah, to say, ha-ha, yeah, yeah, I was yeah. right. I, I know, right? I really wouldn't want to test that theory, to be honest. No. Halley's Comet, which was, you know, out of this kind of world, so we'll move on to The Wizard of Oz. Oh, you're just linking. Your linking is brilliant. It's awesome. I so wish I'd planned it. So, when watching The Wizard of Oz, you may notice that Frank Morgan plays the taxi driver in Emerald City, the fortune teller, Professor Marvel, and, of course, the Wizard of Oz himself. When they were debating on the costume for Professor Marvel, they decided they wanted him to look down on his luck. So they found a very nice coat that was just a bit tattered. During the film, Morgan pulled out one of the pockets and noticed there was some wording written on the inside of the pocket. Ready? Mm-hmm. Mm. The name on the pocket was L. Frank Baum, who is the author of The Wizard of Oz The original book. author, right. Yeah. Thinking it was a joke, they contacted Baum's widow and also his tailor, and they confirmed that it really was L. Frank Baum's jacket. Wow. Oh. So he had a part in that, well, certainly some you know, of I mean, his he wrote clothing. the story and then... No, no, I mean, I had a part in the actual movie. Yeah. (laughs) I've got some stories here for you. So these are about rings. Now, when I say ring, I mean... The kind that goes on your finger. Yeah, jewellery. Yes. Yeah, because (laughs) I've got to say this, that when Bella first moved over here and I started, you know, people over here mention someone's someone's ring is usually their (laughs) arsehole. Every time I say ring now... She gets a little smirk on her face because it's something apparently you Americans never... But wait, it, it, you could also be talking about that um, that snack. What's that snack that they put that... Was it hula hoops? Hula hoops. Yeah, hula yeah, hoops. Yeah, but they don't call them hula rings. Well, no, but still, yeah. I could be... It could be... I, I wouldn't could put be, it on my finger anyhow. I'd just eat it, so... What, my asshole? No. <laughs> you are a disgusting man. Continue. This is why we have an explicit rating. Thank you very much. Anyway. Actually, I've got ring donuts on my mind now. I want a donut. (laughs) Anyway, it was on St. Anne's Beach in Lancashire that Brenda Rawson lost her diamond engagement ring. (laughs) 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 Your diamond encrusted (laughs) asshole. She and her fiance Christopher Firth visited the beach on six successive weekends to sift the sand. (laughs) 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 But it seemed lost forever. This is a sad story, this (laughs) sofa. 
The following year, they married and continued to check with St Anne's Police Station when they returned for holidays in, say, in case someone had handed it in. Yeah, anybody see my ring? <laughs> <laughs> oh, excuse me. <laughs> In 1977, 16 years after the ring had been <laughs> Come on, we've got to get a handle on this. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. We've got to get a handle quiet. on this. I'll mute my microphone no. if I have to. In 1977, <laughs> 16 years after the ring had been lost, Christopher's uncle died and he discovered the whereabouts of his long-lost cousin. John lived not far away from Brenda and Christopher in Yorkshire. One of their visits, which took place in July 1979, so that's 18 years after it was lost, the conversation turned to metal detectors. John told Brenda that one of his children had found a diamond ring on St Anne's Beach 18 years before, and it was her engagement ring. Nice. How weird is that? That's awesome. Found a member of the family they didn't know, even know about, who happened to have found their ring on an entire beach. Yeah, well, so I wonder... I wonder I wonder if it actually just got lost, if some fish ate it and pooped it out or something. Well, it's funny you should say about that, right? Because Not that the fish can poop them out, but you know. No, but I'm glad you mentioned fish. It's almost like you planned it again. <laughs> right? I'm glad you, you you mentioned it, right? Because Thekla Annen of Larkalin in Norway was swimming in an Oslo fjord in 1976 when she lost her diamond ring. <laughs> I wish I had a diamond ring. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I don't, because that'd probably hurt when you have to go. Yeah, you'd, you'd ruin the toilet paper every time you. Um, three years later, well, let's start this again. <laughs> Thekla Arnen of Larkalen in Norway was swimming in an Oslo fjord in 1976 when she lost her diamond ring. Three years later, Robert, her grandson, was fishing in the fjord when he caught a 10 pound salmon. You would think that was. Lucky enough, wouldn't you? Mm, right? Yeah, right. But in triumph, he brought it home for his grandmother. Thecla gutted it for supper and was amazed to find her ring inside. Wow. So, I mean, again, the chances of her son going out fishing that particular day, of that fish, fish being in that spot at that particular time, of biting that hook at that particular time, of him saying, okay, I'm going to take it to my grandmother, yeah. who then guts it and finds her ring inside. Amazing. Definitely. Got anything else? I believe we have our second listener story submission. Yeah, we do. Actually, I'm glad you reminded me about that. So we received this story from Mark up in Newcastle, Walls End area here in the UK. And he has sent in a story. It involves an address. And just to let you know before we go any further, we have changed the address just for his privacy interests, okay? So it says, My wife and I decided to buy our first home back in 1998. Eventually, we found a property we liked and put a bid in with the estate agent. The house itself was an old house from the 1930s in 28 Roman Avenue on Hadrian Estate near Newcastle, and the current owner apparently lived there since it was built, so it needed a bit of an upgrade. Eventually, the owner, or vendor, accepted our offer for the house, and so the process began to move on. I must mention at this point, all we knew about the current owner of the property was from was given to them by the estate agent, okay? Mm-hmm. And the estate agent told them just that he was elderly, his name was Peter, and his family were helping him sell the property. His family were from Essex, which is south of England area, sort of mm. London, east of London. While they were waiting for the date to complete on the purchase and move in, there was a window of opportunity for them to take a holiday and refresh a bit before all the stressful time of moving. Well, dang, I wish we could have afforded to go on a vacation. 
Yeah, while, while we you're were, moving. Yeah. yeah, I know. <laughs> How did the other half live? I know, right? So he decided to take a few weeks' holiday abroad to the beautiful Greek island of Corfu. Oh, I've never been to Corfu. Oh, you've never been. Loads of places. We'll have I to know. take you. While we were in our hotel in Corfu, I started a conversation with another British guy in the hotel bar. We got chatting about various things. Coincidentally, we were both engineers. Not only that, but his wife and family were also teachers. My wife and her family were teachers as well. But then the conversation carried on. Where are you from? I said. From the south of England, in Essex, said the bloke. Ooh, sound, uh, sound effects and all. Awesome. Essex, I see. I'm from the north of England, near Newcastle, I said. Newcastle? Whereabouts? I've been to Newcastle loads of times, said the bloke. Have you? I said. Well, we're about to move into a house on the Hadrian Estate, I said. Hadrian Estate, said the bloke. I know the Hadrian Estate. <laughs> no way, I said. Yeah, I used to visit my uncle up there with my family. We love going up to Newcastle for visits, the bloke replied. Whereabouts on the Hadrian Estate, I said. Roman Avenue. Roman Avenue, I said. We're just about to move into a house on Roman Avenue. I said again, and freaked out, of course. What door number did your uncle live at when you visited then? I asked. I'm not sure, can't remember, replied the bloke. I just asked my wife, he added. So he got his wife to come into the bar where we were sitting. Maureen, hey, what door number does your (laughs) Uncle Peter live at? He questioned her. Number 28, (laughs) she replies. Number 28, I said. Your Uncle Peter lives at number 28 Roman Avenue, Hadrian Estate, Newcastle. I further added. Yeah, they both replied, laughing in shock. That's crazy. We've just finished bidding on your Uncle Peter's house. We move in after our holidays, I shrieked. Wow. Amazing, isn't it? So he writes then, he said, I couldn't believe it. He's just travelled 2,000 miles to a Greek island, bumped into the vendor Uncle Peter's family, who he's never met, who live on the other side of England, and just happened to be on the same Greek island, in the same hotel, sitting in the same bar, at the same time as them, and they strike up a conversation... Out of everyone in the bar, those two happen to strike up a conversation. Everyone in the world, isn't it? I know. So he says, you know, what a total shock. What were the chances of that? Well, I can't tell you what the chances of that are because it's freaking weird. So anyway, Mark said that they moved in, they're still living there now, and that how it's weird, maybe some things are just meant to be bizarre. Anyway, listen, Mark, thank you very much for sending us that. Really do appreciate it. So we've had Mark Antique's story today, uh, and both fantastic stories and both should be setting an example to all y'all out there to send Don't us yours. Don't mock me. I'm not mocking you. I'd Don't never mock you. Don't imitate me. I, w- I, wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't dare. I wouldn't dare. I like my ring where it is. Unpopulated <laughs> <laughs> yeah. by your toe. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But anyway, all of these stories that we've read out today, all of these coincidences and synchronicities will be in the show notes. So, as I said, if you want to have a look there and... Click on the links. They will take you to the original stories and lots more as well. I got them from pages which list quite a number of synchronicities and coincidences. So have a look at those. Also, you'll be able to check out Teak's YouTube channel, as we said. Oh, I do have, before we go, one last thing. So we had a message from someone, and I will just say his name is Wayne, um, without giving his full name, because I don't know whether he wants us to actually give his full name out on the podcast. But he said, Hi, Shelley and Bella. I just listened to your sleep paralysis podcast. Enjoyed it very much. You both seem at ease and natural. That's nice, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Nothing natural about you. Oh, nice. Thanks. 
kiss my ass. <laughs> he said, made me laugh a few times. I found myself masturbating my brain, yawning with my finger up my nose, <laughs> trying to have a mind orgasm. <laughs> I was fucking knackered and immediately fell asleep. Keep up the good work. And also he had a topic suggestion uh, saying that, can we maybe talk about some links between unified theory uh, sorry, the unified field theory and consciousness, i.e. remote viewing, quantum physics and the like. Um, well, we will give it a try. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm into all of that sort of stuff. Spooky action at a distance and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, we'll look into that and we will see what we can do. And thank you very much for that positive review. It's always nice. Yeah, cheers, Wayne. You'll have to stick that on iTunes, but I don't know whether they'll agree with um, some of the language you put in there, but we do. We're fine with it. We list our podcast is explicit so you you crack on (laughs) so before we go i just wanted to talk about an experience that i had when i went to work one of my co-workers uh her name is beth hello beth hi beth get back to work (laughs) Uh, i went in and the day before she'd listened to our podcast on black eyed kids and she'd never even heard of them never heard of black eyed kids no so after the podcast was over and everything she said oh i'm gonna I'm going to have to go home and look them up and find out more information. So she came into work the next day and she said, I hate you and I hate your husband because, <laughs> because. What have I done? <laughs> because I had a nightmare. My mother had to come in and wake me up. No way. Yeah. Oh, bless her. That was terrible, right? Because, you know, like the black eyed kids are not supposed to appear to you unless you like already know of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's... So she thinks that we've kind of cursed her now. Yeah, I gave her a wonderful gift. Oh, bless her. I'm sorry, Beth. Listen, (laughs) as they say on Crime Watch here in the UK, please don't have nightmares. Why? Well, that's what they say at the end of Crime Watch, because Crime Watch is a show where they show you all these crimes that have gone on and they try and reconstruct things to try and catch the crooks. Yeah. And at the end, they always say, but please don't have nightmares. You know, they've just scared the crap out of you with all of this stuff that's gone on. And then they say, please don't have nightmares. So, Beth... Please don't have nightmares. But please, everyone else, do listen to our podcasts. Yes, and send us your stories. Weirdwackywonderful at Outlook.com. I think that's all we've got for today, yeah? Yep, I think it might be. All right, well, thanks for listening, guys. And don't forget, if you're not already subscribed, please do subscribe because that means that whenever we put out a new episode, you get it straight away. Right, so we're going to go out on our high note, like we always do. Mm -hmm. And I've got a little joke for everybody. One of your jokes. Well, no, it's not mine. I'm not quite that clever. I was going to say, it's not a high note if it's one of your jokes. One of your jokes is, my dog's got no nose. How does he smell? Awful. You smell awful. (laughs) Yeah, I know. A chicken farmer went to a local bar, sat next to a woman, and ordered a glass of champagne. The woman perks up and says, how about that? I just ordered a glass of champagne too. What a coincidence, he said. This is a special day for me. I'm celebrating. This is a special day for me, too, and I'm also celebrating, said the woman. What a coincidence, said the man. As they clinked glasses, he asked, what are you celebrating? My husband and I have been trying to have a child, and today my gynecologist told me that I'm pregnant. What a coincidence, said the man. I'm a chicken farmer. For years, all my hens were infertile, but today they're finally laying fertilized eggs. That's great, said the woman. How did your chickens become fertile? I switched cocks, he said. She smiled and said, what a coincidence. (laughs) (laughs) That was good. I know, I know. Yeah. All right, cheers, guys. Take it easy. Have a good one. Speak to you next week. Bye.